0: Death is a judgment of God on the human race because of our representative Adam's sin. Death entered the world through Adam's sin. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today Tom has part two of a series titled The True and Better Adam. At the beginning of human history, God warned Adam and Eve that death would follow if they were to disobey his command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know the rest of that story. The reality and horror of death entered the world through Adam's sin. But the question is, in what way, what kind of death? Well, today Tom will examine the three main types of death that did enter through the sin of Adam and how Christ Jesus ultimately reverses those effects through his life, death, and resurrection. But exactly how? Well, let's join our teacher to find out here on The Word Unleashed.
0: God makes Christ your representative in the same way He made Adam your representative in the garden. And so in verse 12, He explains Adam's representation of us. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. I think you understand that that is the most profound, far-reaching statement on human sinfulness in all of the Bible. It describes to us how Adam's sin has affected you and me. Most theologians call the enduring effects of Adam's sin on us, original sin. Maybe you've heard that term, original sin. That's the enduring effects of Adam's sin on us. What is original sin? Well, I like Louis Burkhoff's definition in his systematic theology. He says, it is the sinful state and condition in which men are born. That's original sin. The sinful state and condition in which all men are born. Which you were born. Which I was born. Not talking about our actions. Those actions come from this reality. But the real issue is the state or condition in which we were born. Hodge, Charles Hodge, calls it the corruption of our whole nature, original sin. Now, why the term original? Well, again, I think Burkhoff explains it well. We use that term original sin for a couple reasons. We use it because it's from the original root of the human race, Adam. So it's original in that sense. It comes from Adam himself. Also, it's original because it starts at the very moment of conception and displays itself in birth. So it's original in that sense, and it's original in the sense that it is the origin of all the actual sins we commit. It comes from this state or condition of the heart with which we're born. That's original, original sin. Now, in this one verse, verse 12, Paul lays down for us four foundational propositions about original sin. Let's look at them together. First of all, number one, sin entered the world through Adam sin entered the world through Adam. Look at verse 12. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, obviously by one man here, Paul means the historical man, Adam. If there's any doubt in your mind, look at verse 14. Twice he calls him by name, Adam. Adam. By the way, This underscores the importance of the current debate that is raging among even those who profess to be evangelicals about whether or not Adam was a historical person. You may not even know this is happening, but there's a huge debate raging about whether or not Adam was truly the first human being. There are professing Christians who argue that he was not. Rather, Adam in Scripture merely represents the starting of humanity but he wasn't a real person. He wasn't a historical person who actually lived and existed. Now, why would they come to that conclusion? Well, that is simply the logical conclusion of not taking a literal view of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. If the days and events of the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 are not historical and not historically accurate, then why should we think that Adam and Eve, who were at the very center of the creation account, are historical persons? But make no mistake, folks, the reality of a historical Adam is foundational to the Christian faith. Christ believed in a historical Adam. For example, Luke 3 records Adam in the human genealogy of Jesus Christ through Mary. In Mark 10, Jesus quotes from Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, and he quotes from them as historical. In John 8.44, Jesus alludes to the serpent and to Satan and to the fall. But I think the definitive passage where Jesus affirms the historicity of Adam is Matthew 23.35. In Matthew 23.35, Jesus directly affirms a historical Adam by referring to the historical son of Adam, Abel. Listen to what he says in Matthew twenty-three thirty-five. Upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, Adam's son, to the blood of Zechariah. Paul, too, believed in the historical Adam. Here in this passage, look at verse 14. He says, death reigned from Adam until Moses. In the mind of the Apostle Paul, Adam was every bit as much a real historical person as Moses was. And in fact, throughout this passage, he keeps referring to Adam as one man, one man, one man. In addition, Paul even defends the gospel on the basis of the choices the historical Adam made versus the choices the historical Jesus made. If Adam didn't exist... If he didn't commit the first personal sin, then logically there is reason to doubt that Jesus existed and that he has personal righteousness. But that's certainly not what Paul believed. Paul says, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Now, we need to define sin. What is sin? My own personal favorite illustration of this comes from my wife's background. Her dad taught her the catechism, as we have taught our own children the catechism when they were younger. And um, and so one day, when I think she was in the first grade, her, her teacher asked her, so, kids, what is sin? And, you know, the hand shot up everywhere, and, and my wife's hand went up. She knew the answer to this question. And, of course, the teacher's anticipating sort of a, a simple first grade answer. And my wife's hand goes up, and she called on her. My wife stood up and proudly said, Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what sin is. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. What lies behind sin? What, what is at the very root of sin? What is of the essence of sin? Again, theologians debate this all the time. Some say pride. Others say selfishness. I think the best explanation is, Those are included, I think, but I think the best explanation, the very root of sin, is autonomy. It's to say, God doesn't rule, I rule. I like the way Tozer puts it in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, where he describes man in the face of the fact that God has said, I am, I am the only solely self-existent one. Tozer says, man climbs to the throne of his own selfhood, and from that exalted position exclaims, I am. That's the essence of sin. But it displays itself in a lack of conformity to and a transgression of God's law. That is a condition of the heart, and it is displayed in real acts. Now Paul says, notice what he says, Through one man, Adam, sin, as we've just defined it, entered the world. Now did you notice what Paul didn't say? He didn't say that sin originated with Adam. He says it entered the world through Adam. Because Scripture teaches that sin originated by spontaneous generation in the heart of Satan. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The devil has sinned from the beginning. He's the source of sin. Well, how in the world did it start? There's only one passage in Scripture that I think helps us understand that. Go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. In this paragraph, in this chapter... Ezekiel's writing about a human king, the king of Tyre, and he's pronouncing God's judgment on him. But in the middle of this paragraph, he seems to turn and and stop talking about the king, the human king, and start talking about the spiritual being that energized the evil of this human king. Look at verse 14. It's pretty clear this is not talking about the king of Tyre. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. And here we go. Until unrighteousness was found in you. The origin of sin came in the heart of Satan. But how? Verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor, and therefore God pronounces judgment on both Satan, the one who energized the king of Tyre, and on the king of Tyre himself. So understand then, Scripture teaches that evil spontaneously erupted in the heart of the covering cherub, likely the prime minister of heaven, second only to God himself because his heart was lifted up in pride and autonomy because of his beauty, because of his splendor. So sin entered the universe through Satan. But Paul says back in Romans 5, sin entered the world through Adam. Adam was the door through which sin entered into our world. Moses, in recording it, just makes a passing statement. In Genesis 3, verse 6, we read this, And Eve gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. There it is. Sin entered into the world. Now this raises an interesting question. Why does Paul say that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and not through Eve, who was the first to listen to the serpent and the first to eat the fruit? Well, I won't take you there, but you can jot it in your notes. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, I think Paul answers that question. Because in that text, he makes two basic points. One, Adam was created first and placed by God in the role of headship. And secondly, Adam was not deceived in his eating like Eve was. In other words, Adam made a conscious choice to disobey God. And therefore, Paul says... Here in Romans 5, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. So the first proposition is that sin entered the world through Adam. That brings us to a second proposition about original sin found here in verse 12. It's that death entered the world through Adam's sin. Death entered the world through Adam's sin. Look at verse 12 again. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Death only entered the world because of Adam's sin. Now hit the pause button for a moment because I think this is a strong biblical argument for biblical creation and against evolution. Because Paul argues here that all death follows the sin of Adam. There was no death prior to Adam's sin, but Evolution postulates that most of the fossil record predates man. And the fossil record is clearly a story of death. That's why they're fossils. So evolution teaches that there was death on a massive scale before there was human sin. But the biblical order is there was creation that was all good... Then there was man, a part of that creation. There was sin, and then death. Death only comes after human sin. Paul says, death entered the world through Adam's sin. Now, this is a great corrective to our thinking because we live in a pagan world, and it's easy for us to be influenced by paganism. If you had children growing up in the era when this animated movie came along, you have probably found yourself humming, whistling, or singing The circle of life. I won't sing it for you, but you're familiar with the song. The circle of life. What's the point? Death is just as natural to life as living is. Folks, that is not biblical. That's paganism. The biblical truth is that death is alien to humanity as God originally made us. In fact, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be abolished or destroyed. Death was God's judgment on Adam's sin. The reason every person you know who has died, died, the reason every person here will eventually die if the Lord doesn't return, is because death is a judgment of God on the human race because of our representative Adam's sin. God warned Adam and Eve that death would follow their disobedience, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you will what? Surely die. God says, you're going to surely die. So death entered the world through Adam's sin. In what way? What kind of death? You see, when you find the word death in Scripture, it is used in three distinct ways or senses, or we could say even manifestations. And all three of these manifestations of death are the result of Adam's sin and God's judgment on Adam's sin. First of all, there is physical death. On the day that Adam sinned, God told Adam and Eve they would die. Genesis 3, 19 as he delivers his curse to Adam, he says, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. I can't read that verse without thinking about the little boy who was trying to get his mind around this truth that from dust we're made and to dust we we shall return. And he went and said to his mom, he said, Mom, you know, the Bible says from dust we're made and to dust we shall return. I looked under my bed And somebody's either coming or going. That's that's right. He got it in principle. Adam would eventually die physically, God said, because of his sin. And his death is recorded for us. Go back to Genesis 5. Just in case you missed it, Genesis 5 verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. This is son number three. Remember, there was Cain, there was Abel, and now at 130, there's Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, underline this, and he died. He died. Death came into the world through Adam's sin. But, Adam and Eve clearly did not die physically the day that they ate. In fact, as we just read, Adam lived at least 800 years after that day. So how then did they die on the day they ate like God promised they would? Well, that brings us to a second sense of the word death, and that is spiritual death. Spiritual death. Spiritual death at its heart is alienation from God. It is to be cut off from God, your Creator. It is to... To distance yourself from God, not to have a relationship with God. And this began immediately on the first human sin. In fact, I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Genesis 3, verse 8. Now remember, Adam and Eve have communed with the second person of the Trinity on a regular basis. He performed their wedding. And this is what we read. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after their sin. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The very first response that came after their sin was a desire to run away from God. This is spiritual death. This is alienation from God, your creator. And the alienation went both ways. Because remember later in that chapter in Genesis 3:23, the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden. And it gets worse. Because sin and alienation eventually spawn a further commitment to rebellion. So that later in Genesis 3, verse 22, it says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. This is God's grace, not wanting man to live in that state forever. But nevertheless, he says, Man's rebellion is only going to get worse. He might very well eat of this tree as well. So Adam's sin brought physical death into the world and spiritual death as well. But there's a third kind of death in Scripture. It's called the second death. Now let me be clear. Adam and Eve experienced spiritual death and physical death, but they never experienced the second death. Because in an amazing display of God's grace, it appears on the very day of their sin, the first human sin, God redeemed them. You read about it in Genesis 3. And so they never, they never had to experience the second death, but their sin ushered this form, this manifestation of death into the world. It's described in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. It's at the great white throne of judgment, that's the scene. Jesus Christ sits on the throne, all unbelieving humanity sits before or stands before him. And we read this, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What is the second death? The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the second death is eternal death in the suffering of the lake of fire. And that entered the world through Adam's sin. Death entered the world through Adam's sin. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Now, Paul has structured this passage around a deliberate contrast between Adam and Christ. It's like what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, that is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Christ is the true and better Adam. Why would he say that? Because all men, all men and women, you and I, every single one of us were in Adam. Adam. You say, wait a minute, how did I get in Adam? You were born. You were born in Adam. You were born with Adam as your representative, officially appointed by God, and you got all the consequences of his actions. You say, that doesn't seem fair. It's absolutely fair because God did it. But secondly, it's fair because you would have done the same thing. In fact, you and I have done the same thing throughout our lives. We've made the same choice to rebel against God. But you were born in Adam. But now, we who have repented and believe in Christ, we are in Christ. Now remember, this paragraph, it's in a section intended to bring us confidence and security in our relationship to God. You say, how can this, how can this truth bring me confidence and security? It's because the ultimate certainty of your salvation comes from the fact that you are no longer in Adam that he no longer represents you you no longer suffer the consequences of his choice but you are now in Christ you are secure because Jesus Christ is your official representative and you get the credit for everything he has done you are no longer in Adam you are in Christ if you will turn from your sin and turn to Christ. If you will repent and you will put your faith in the simple truth of the gospel, that God sent His only Son into the world to become like us, to take on full humanity in addition to His full deity, and that He lived a perfect life, the life you should have lived. And then He died for sins. He died to satisfy the justice of God For every person who would ever believe in him, and then God raised him from the dead as God's own testimony that he'd accepted that sacrifice, if you will turn from your sin, put your faith in that gospel, commit to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the essence of faith, then you will no longer be in Adam as your official representative. You will be in Christ. And instead of sin, you will get righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Instead of condemnation, you will get justification. You will be declared right with God. And instead of death, spiritual death and eternal death, you will get eternal life. And that can all be yours today if you're willing to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Instead of Adam, it'll be Christ. Listen, understand this you are either in Adam or you are in Christ.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of The True and Better Adam. Join us next time for part three. Are you interested in attending the Master Seminary? Countryside Bible Church is home to the Master Seminary Dallas campus. Join Pastor Tom Pennington as he hosts the Master Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, March 24th through the 27th at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in the church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. Thank <laughs> you.